This is Angelica Norton. And this is Amber Moreno. I produce. And I host a podcast called Chatty Crafties. I chat with our crafty friends about what drives them to make, perform, and create. It's not about perfection. No. It's about expression. We invite you to peer into the lives of our guests' creative processes and inspirations. We hope to excite those who assume they're not creative and support those who may have forgotten that they are. Honestly, I just want to celebrate and absorb their creative energy to try new things. So it won't sound so daunting for me to, oh, sew a swimsuit, tell a story on stage in front of strangers, or get back into painting. So find us at chattycrafties.com for a new episode every Wednesday. Thanks for listening. Now go make some art. Hello and welcome to Perhaps It's You, an unofficial Unsolved Mysteries rewatch podcast hosted by Samantha, myself, and my name's Liz. That's us. That was like the most professional intro we've ever done. Possibly. I'm so impressed. Now, it's all whew. downhill from here. Yeah, pressure's off. Now let's relax. Hello, five listeners. We're so glad you're here. Thanks for tuning in again. Yes, it's a beautiful, sunny day in Minneapolis. It really is. It's and I'm probably the gonna best s- part of the summer. Probably going to spend it all inside. Let's be real. Yeah, well, I mean, here we, we are recording our podcast. <laughs> we can kind of see out the window. Yeah, we go, got oh, a window right yeah, here. Yeah, it's nice. It's the nice. The sun is streaming in. Uh, I'm going to wear some eye masks while we... I'm going to multitask. I think I'm going to, too. Which one do you have? I've got the sea algae eye mask. I have the purifying and soothing green tea eye mask. Because oh. we, we want to make sure we look extra beautiful This one has guys. green tea and cucumber extracts to oh. purify and soothe tired eyes. Did you get these at Marshall's? Yeah. For sure. <laughs> Liz is putting hers on. Yeah. These are going to make us look 10 years younger. Probably. They're surprisingly effective. Is this your favorite part of the podcast, listener, where we put on Well, we put on eye masks. Ah. And you go, well, why didn't you do this before you started recording? Look, I figured it would be hard to wear a full face mask while we record. But an eye mask is just perfect. An eye mask. I'm going to need to get more eye masks. lip masks? Yeah, I have one. I haven't tried it yet. Yeah, Which I feel like your not. lips would have to be like really dry to hell for that to be yeah even worth i'll it. save it for like midwinter sure okay that was the best part of the podcast okay we have our our beauty we're ready to go with our <laughs> eye masks uh any updates um i have a sort of an update really it's just something i've learned recently okay. so the podcast undisclosed have you ever listened to that podcast i have not so i'm the one they person started out doing like it was basically after serial yeah. So the host, one of which is Rabia Chaudhry, who has written a book about Anand Syed. She's the whole reason, really, why Serial Season 1 covered, and Sarah okay. Koenig co- covered Anand's case. She's been a, tire- like a tireless advocate. Um, her other two hosts are also advocates um, for him and are working with his legal team, et cetera, et cetera. So the first season of Undisclosed is all about what Serial left out and information after Serial. I, if you enjoyed Serial, if you're interested in the Anand Syed case, I would highly recommend listening to that podcast. It's, I will say, very dense and goes into exhaustive detail, but they... Reveal a lot of things that weren't in, wasn't in Serial, and okay. it's really, really good. They've done a few seasons since that, and the current season they're doing is about a case that was featured on Unsolved Mysteries and a case that we talked about. Oh, yes. It is the Dennis Perry case, 
aka the murder of Harold and Thelma Swain. If you remember, that is the case in which Robert Stack was sent those glasses. AKA the case where Robert Stack ruined evidence by touching <laughs> the glasses from the case and compromising any DNA that might have been found. Right. They had found DNA on these glasses that the killer had left behind. And they, when the case went cold, Unsolved Mysteries requested the glasses so that they could be featured in the show. And Robert Stack is shown holding them in the episode and then the glasses mysteriously disappeared not that if they ever came up again or like turned up that they could probably be used because robert stack was holding them in his bare hands to be fair um in unsolved mysteries defense and in robert stack's defense they never even presented the dna evidence in court so whether or not they had the glasses or not it didn't really matter because the defense team sucked so but also, just because a TV show asks for evidence in a murder case doesn't mean you have to send it to them. Yeah. No. And with no, like, way of getting it back or, like, no follow-up. What? I know. And I have not listened to the season yet, but I am planning on it because I think it's a really good podcast. It's really well done. I'm interested to see how they cover it because in previous seasons of Undisclosed, they have covered cases that are being actively, um, like, are active on appeal with, like, organizations like the innocence project etc right and they're sort of investigating and helping that effort and if i recall from the unsolved mysteries episode dennis perry took a deal to avoid the death penalty in which he promised he would never seek an appeal so he was stuck in prison for life so i'm not sure if they're just shedding light on it or if there's actually something that can be done maybe they are advocating for clemency or yeah. something like that or a pardon who knows um but i mean I'm interested. i think that it's a huge miscarriage of justice and it seems like they're completely innocent and because that whole thing was some woman didn't like who dennis perry was dating her daughter and so she accused him of being yeah the murderer or whatever and he had a airtight alibi he was miles away at work yeah somehow he was still convicted yeah it's really awful yeah so i'm interested because they do a really nice job they're very detailed and they're also extremely smart they are lawyers and legal advocates etc so they do they present a really well thought out podcast and i'd highly recommend it unlike this one and i guess they like play a clip or something from the unsolved mysteries episode and they actually talk about the unsolved mysteries segment so i'm wondering if they talk about those glasses i mean they have to yeah I will report back. I'll listen to that podcast. I'm listening to like three audiobooks right now, so I haven't gotten around to many podcasts, but it's on my radar. Okay. That's a good, important update. Yeah. And I don't know that I have any others. Do you? Should we talk about what we did yesterday? Yes. Hell, yes, we should. We went on a ghost walk in Stillwater, Minnesota with Dangerous Linda. Our hero. We love Dangerous Linda. And Dangerous Linda is a friend of the podcast because she announced loudly to the whole group that we are <laughs> local podcast hosts, hosts, which was really nice. I got a hug. Uh-huh. It was like, yeah. We have a picture of Dangerous Linda Pretty adorable. with us standing in front of what I'm calling a Mothman statue in Stillwater. It's clearly a butterfly, but <laughs> as far as we're concerned, it's Mothman. <laughs> yeah. That's how we got our steps in last night for Friday the 13th. It was so much fun. If you are ever in the area, I highly recommend taking a ghost walk with Dangerous Linda. Dangerous Linda This is the walks. third one we've done. Yes. We've done all of the ones she currently does. She has a walk in Minneapolis, St. Paul, and Stillwater. We've already done Minneapolis and St. Paul. <laughs> Stillwater was on our to-do list, and yesterday was Friday the 13th, so obviously... That's what we did. I There's nothing I would rather do on a Friday night. It was like, so l- nice. Literally nothing. 
Strolling around Stillwater is just the best. Hearing little spooky stories. Like, basically every building there is haunted because it's an old town. Yeah, it was just great. Stillwater is full of history. And it's it's a place I love to spend time. We had a really nice dinner and then went on a ghost walk. It was lovely. Yeah. It was a great date. It sure was. And also, a like, black panel van drove by at one point, and a guy just yelled, there's no such thing as ghosts. Which, wh- what? How did he know? I don't, I don't know. It's so weird. We were thinking that maybe he has a competing ghost walk, so he's trying to... <laughs> but why would he say there's no such thing as ghosts? Then? I don't know. We did walk past that same black panel van later, and, I pretended and he kind to be, of avoided us. I pretended to be a ghost, <laughs> and then he pretended not to see me. <laughs> I'm very mature, in case you were wondering. Obviously. Obviously. So. Yeah, that was super fun. Highly recommend. Oh, yeah, it was lovely. I wish I was always going on a ghost walk or cemetery tour, basically. What a great way to get exercise, really. It really is. Walk around to hear about ghosts. Yeah. And Dangerous Linda researches the most interesting stories and facts that I've never heard of. Yeah, she really, like, does her due diligence. Mm -hmm. She talks to mediums. She's, like, going through old records. She tries to find out... If someone reports a haunting, she tries to figure out who might have died that would be that ghost and who would be still connected to that place. And it's really cool. Yeah. Is that it? Is that all we have? I don't really have any. What episode are we on? 15. Yeah. Season two, episode 15. If you are following along on Amazon Prime, though, I know at least earlier this week, European Amazon workers were on strike for better working conditions. Power to them. Yeah. Hope they prevail. If you are in the U.S., you work for Amazon, maybe you should go on strike too, <laughs> because everything I've heard about working to conditions is appalling. So thanks for nothing, evil overlords, except Unsolved Mysteries, I guess. <laughs> the podcast Reply All, which is one of my favorite, if not my favorite, non-true crime podcast, just did an episode about Amazon Oh, really? this week, and how it's changing since they've started allowing international sellers to sell direct to um yeah the customers it used to be if you were in the u.s and you wanted to buy something from china the chinese seller had to use like a distributing company sure now they can sell directly to you and it's made for a lot of changes and yeah they talked about fake reviews and all kinds of different things and it's really interesting and i highly recommend listening to it it depressed me a little bit because a lot of us myself included really rely on amazon to sort of like grease the wheels of our lives like it just makes your life so much easier and i just know that i can buy almost anything on amazon and it's getting to be where there's more and more fake stuff and scams and huh interesting on amazon and yeah it's it's kind of a, a bummer there was an issue here, at least earlier this summer. We have a big Amazon warehouse nearby in Minnesota, which is apparently not air conditioned. And so workers in there were collapsing from the heat, which is really appalling. Yeah, it is. Considering Jeff Bezos is like one of the richest men alive. He can't, I don't air know. He can't air condition his fucking warehouse. Also, people like their brakes are really restricted. And yeah, it's, yeah, it's not great. It's not great. Not so. great. However, we rely on Amazon here at this <laughs> yeah, podcast to bring us unsolved mysteries. It's a moral quandary. So here we are. Here we are. This is actually a great episode. I've been so looking forward to talking about this. I loved this episode. It's quality. Yep. Samantha really gets like the whole weight of this, just the way that it fell. She gets to talk about basically everything, including one of the best mysteries this season, which is... Hell yeah! Crop crop circles! circles! So excited. Or the unexplained. Yeah. I'm stoked to talk about this. So the episode begins with Robert Stack saying Stonehenge the great megalithic monument in southern England. 
He says that Stonehenge is only one of several huge monuments scattered across Britain and that these puzzling formations have baffled scientists and laymen alike. Have you ever been to Stonehenge? I have. Did you enjoy it? Yes, I did. I went many years ago when you could actually like touch it, which oh. I don't think is true anymore. And actually, when I was there, um, this is when I was in middle school, so I don't know, mid-90s. I bought a like booklet on crop circles. Oh. And I gave it to a boy. <laughs> and I regret it so no. much. A great regret in life. Yeah, it really is. How cool would that be to have? That would be awesome to have. I know. And I'm sure he threw it away a billion years ago. So thanks for nothing, Jeremy. <laughs> Jeremy, if you're listening, we want that back. Yeah. Where's my crop circle booklet I gave you? <laughs> and you were like, oh, thanks. So, Robert Stack goes on to say that recently, scientists have discovered another strange phenomenon that may be related to the Stonehenge Monument. Wheat circles. Yeah, they're called crop circles, Robert Stack. <laughs> Get it together. No one calls them wheat so circles. Weird. Yes. So, there is a very creative shot in which we see various aerial video footages of crop circles, and then Robert Stack steps out from behind the last one. Yeah, that was weird. Uh, it's a photograph of one large solid circle in a wheat field, and then it has a thin ring around it, and then there's another smaller circle off to the side of the larger one, and Robert Stack says this photograph shows circles in wheat fields, simple enough, but in fact, there are not, uh, they are not simple at all. No one knows how these enigmatic circles simple got enough. there. Simple enough? What? What this reminds me of is, you know, on Fixer Upper, they put that giant photograph of the old house in front of the, like, remodeled house. And then roll it. Yeah. Which, and then I just always go, how much did that cost? (laughs) (laughs) Robert Stack walks out from behind this giant crop circle photo. Where's that crop circle photo? I want it. I know. That would be great. We could hang it up right here. It's a perfect spot for it. (laughs) So. It's so weird to be wearing these I know, mine's drying out a little bit. I'm going to have to take it off in a second. Okay. All right. I feel more Moisturizing the wrinkles away. So, Robert Stack calls this the most intriguing unsolved mystery of the century. Okay. I mean... Maybe. I mean, it's pretty solved now, but... So, 95%, according to Robert Stack, of the circles occur within 30 miles of Stonehenge. And then the rest of them happen near other megalithic monuments. My reaction to that was, Britain's not really that big. (laughs) Wouldn't they, like, have to be near one of those monuments? I mean... Maybe that's a very naive reaction, but I was like, I think that's not really related. There also just happens to be a lot of farm fields around Stonehenge. Yeah. So... I feel like that's a coincidence. Yeah. So, Robert Sack asks, are they caused by whirlwinds? Yeah, I thought that was a weird theory. Who knows? Uh, It's not the weirdest theory, but we'll hear about that later. (laughs) No, no, it's not. (laughs) Next, we go to Charity Down, a farm two hours away from London. In the early morning hours of June 15th, 1988, Chris Wood, who is a 37-year-old farmer, is out driving his tractor through one of his wheat fields. The reenactment of this is very foggy, so don't know how he saw anything, but apparently, (laughs) just after seven, he was startled to see something in his field that he'd never seen before. A huge circle had appeared in his field. Yep. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Unsolved Mysteries interviews him, and his title on the screen is just Tractor Driver? Like, okay, pretty sure he owns this big farm, but (laughs) I guess we call him a tractor driver. I loved all of these farmers. Oh my god, yes. This was like just this 
snapshot of England. Yeah, it's really, really English. <laughs> it's extremely. It's very tweedy and knit, and there's little yep. caps. and yep. Many a farmer standing in front of his stone. Little cottage. Yeah, cottage oh my god, so beautiful. Barn. I, yeah, I really There's like really, it. like, nothing more beautiful than English countryside. Mm-hmm. It's, like, so green and lush and not, like, our farm. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's much different. The vibe is much yeah. different. So, anyway, he says that it was amazing how the crop was laying so perfectly on the ground. The stocks had not been broken. All of these farmers get five out of ro- five rubber stacks for fashion. Hell, yeah. There was also an incredible unibrow that one of them I had the unibrow who which, was that i don't know one of the farmers i'll have to go back and look and i i'm sort of wondering if he should be mvm we we've done most valuable eyebrows before yes so we and could do it again last episode turned into we didn't do a most valuable mustache we kind of did a most valuable mullet yes check out that post on instagram because that is an impressive mullet let me tell you so Robert Stack says that the circle in Chris's field has never been explained, and in the last 12 years, more than 750 crop circles have appeared, some of them as big as 100 yards in diameter. So the question is, how did the circles get there? And we next see Aliens. a series of witnesses to this phenomenon. So there's a man by the oh, name this is of what I was talking about. Busty the... Taylor. Uh-huh. He has uh-huh. the unibrow. I don't know. I think I was distracted by his name. One of these men. There's like a montage of different farmers talking about the circles that have appeared in their fields. And they're all ridiculously English and quaint. And one of them has a very serious (laughs) unibrow. It could be Busty Taylor, who is an aerial photographer. The first circle he ever saw was in 1985. And they show us the footage of of the crop circle. It is a circle with a bunch of slightly smaller circles all around it. Uh, We see Joffrey Smith, a farm foreman who came across a circle while he was harvesting a cornfield. I guess I don't know if it's Jeffrey or Joffrey, but it's spelled like how I imagine Joffrey is spelled. Not our Joffrey, (laughs) but this cute English farmer. Sure. Uh, He says that there was no damage to the corn. It was simply flattened. Ian Stevens is a track is a uh, truck driver who has seen several circles in his travels across Britain. Simon Brown is a farmer wearing a very cozy looking sweater. He has experienced circles ranging from five meters to fifteen meters. He describes a neat, perfect pattern spiraling out from the center. I just wrote, he... I wrote eight plus for Simon, <laughs> and I assume that was for the sweater. The sweater looked so cozy. <laughs> Uh, he again tells of the flattened crops not crushed. So Richard Andrews is interviewed for the show. He is a, quote, circle investigator slash dowser, mm-hmm. which I assume is like dowsing rods. Yeah. Are those real dowsing rods? I know a surveyor who swears that you can use them to find underground pipes. Don't know if it's true. Uh, people who believe in dowsing rods very seriously believe in them. I think they're people get results, but I don't know. Huh, I don't know how you use them to in your circle investigating, but he just has maybe two jobs. He's like, oh, I douse <laughs> to like find wells or whatever, sure. and also I investigate crop circles. Which can that be my job? Investigating crop circles? Yeah. I mean, that sounds nice. Yeah, but I feel like the market on that is really closed. Uh, yeah. So it was booming in, in, <laughs> in this, this segment. Yeah. 
So Richard Andrews describes going out the night before and seeing nothing but a perfect field of growing corn and then waking up the next morning to find a perfect circle what? has appeared out of nowhere. Because aliens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's aliens, but it's the aliens. It's aliens. Robert Stack says that the circles are never cut. They are pressed down in a swirling pattern and the crop is not damaged and you can still harvest it. I'm assuming he means the crop outside of the crop circles because I don't see how you could harvest the crop within the crop circles. They're very adamant that the crop is just flattened down and not hurt. Perfectly laid down. So I'm assuming somehow you could still harvest it, but... Robert Stack made the claim that it continues to grow and you could harvest it normally. Maybe that's true. I don't actually know anything about farming, so who knows? All right. There's never unusual footprints and no tire tracks are found. Then we see a bunch of aerial shots of crop circles. The patterns vary from simple to intricate. We get a lot of footage of crop circles, I will say. So I really enjoyed that. You used to be able to get like crop circle calendars back in the day. I still could. That would be awesome. Back in the day when I spent like 10% of my life at Borders, RIP, uh, yeah, you could get a crop circle calendar of different intricate designs and fields. We need to get some crop circle postcards for our Patreon. I mean, yeah, that would be Those great. Would be great postcards to send out. So we next see some kind of what I called in my notes a crop circle command center. <laughs> That is totally what it is. Yes, it's like a little claustrophobic station uh-huh. with a computer and like maps and practically that red string. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, just photographs. And I, I swear there's like a ticker tape machine. I'm pretty it's, sure there is. Yeah, two men are analyzing a crop circle in a way that sounds completely made up, but they have lots of notes and computers and they seem very serious about the whole thing. I wish, how I I wish our little podcast room here was that like that command center my favorite part was so the one guy is sitting in front of this ancient computer cutting edge of the time no doubt and he's literally hunting and pecking yeah you know how you used to get yelled at in school and typing class for like using each pointer finger some people are like no because they do not have typing class anymore but, but he's holding his hands up like his resting position is like way up here by his face and then he's like smashing the keyboard yeah he's even his, worse at typing than me which is pretty fingers. remarkable I'm just like, what is this guy doing? Uh, so we learned that the men are Pat Delgado, an electromechanical design engineer, and Colin Andrews, a local government officer. So Pat Delgado has a mustache. He has like a John Waters mustache. It's really gray and prickly and thin. <laughs> he was going to be my choice for MVM. I, but. for some reason, called it the long winter. <laughs> but <laughs> the thing about these mustache names is... So poetic. <laughs> I just write down the first thing that pops in my head. Long <laughs> it doesn't make sense because it's not a long mustache. But something about it's like gray prickliness <laughs> made me think the it's long. My, it's my favorite mustache name yet. So oh if we do God. an MVM, it probably goes to Pat. In the long winter. Yeah. So the two. <laughs> <laughs> The two men have written a book about crop circles. They have studied the phenomenon for over a decade. I feel, I have to say, I feel really bad for them. (laughs) This is their life's work. This is their life's work. And look, it's not going to end in a way that's very dignified for them. And I'm sorry. I feel really bad for them that they put all this time into it. I feel like they still believe. Okay. After all is said and done, the... This is a Fair enough. supernatural phenomenon. Fair enough. Uh, Collins 
uh, Colin tells us that the number of circles are increasing dramatically. Two or three years prior. Yeah, it's almost as like, as the more people talk about it, more are made. Because a word for word, I know what I wrote down later. <laughs> so, so there was just two or three crop circles in the late 70s. But now he says that they're having 10, 11, 12, 15 or so in the early 80s. And then the previous year, they had a huge spike in the number of circles. There were 98 in just five months. And then the current year to date, they had... 274 crop circles. Uh 28 in one field alone. Uh Uh-huh. So he says that there's... Wait, are they counting each individual circle as a separate phenomenon? Like, if you make (laughs) a... To boost the numbers. If you make a circle, a pattern out of five circles, is there... Are they counting that as one crop circle? I bet if you asked them to their face, they would say that that was one crop circle, but, like, secretly, they're, like, inflating their numbers. By because if they're saying five. there's 28 in one field, I would be like, no, that's one. They made it sound like it was 20 instances of crop circles in one field. That's one big field. Yeah. All right. So, th- he says that there's no correlation to meteorological data, and they occur in all weather conditions. Yeah, they... Probably not when it's raining out. <laughs> Probably not when it's gross out, though. Probably not. Uh, Pat Delgado comes on the screen next with his uh, long winter mustache. He says that they have invited many professional scientists of various disciplines to help with their investigation. And all of them said, get the hell out of my office. Who let you in here? He says that they always begin by considering that it could be a hoax. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of these scientists is respected astronomer Dr. Archibald Roy of Glasgow University. That is not a real name. Archibald Roy? On the screen, he goes by Dr. Archie. But I will keep that calling That might be worse. <laughs> Dr. Archie? <laughs> so, he began, began studying crop oh, circles. This? Okay, I know who you this is. know who is. this is. In 1980, he says that no one knows why the circles are appearing and that no one theory seems to fit every characteristic of the circles. I think I know. And then I he know. gives my favorite quote ever. This is what we've been looking forward to, folks. So here, I'm going to set the stage. So this is a very serious-looking British man in a suit and tie. He's got the accent. He styled his weird comb-over. He's very... <laughs> s- <laughs> Picture it. Picture it. Yes. He looks into the camera and very seriously says that there are quite a number of theories. There is the frankly unacceptable theory of the circles being formed by hundreds of hedgehogs all marching around in circles. I I do find that theory unacceptable. I mean, adorable. Can you imagine? I wish it was true. Okay. Okay. Those of you with a Society6 account who are out there making fan art, I, I know we're asking a lot of you. You've given us some amazing pieces. I need, I need, I don't want, I need something that I can put on a t-shirt that is tiny hedgehogs marching in a circle making a crop circle. Hundreds. Hundreds. Okay, uh, maybe not hundreds. You could like infer, you know, it could like fade off into the distance. But could you imagine? The idea that hedgehogs could get so organized <laughs> that hundreds of them would like basically be doing like a pep rally together. <laughs> Do you think they have little flags? So that they're all moving in a circle at the same time. <laughs> I, I love this so much. So the first time I watched this episode, I'm sitting there with Travis and we're watching it and all of these scientists, everyone who they've interviewed, this Pat Delgado, his buddy Andrew Collins, Collins or whatever, yeah. they're, they've all been so serious. And then this guy comes on the screen, the most serious looking one of all, the most British <laughs> accent you've ever heard. And he's like, then there's the frankly unacceptable theory of thousands of tiny hedgehogs marching in a circle. 
they're just like, wait, what did he just say? I mean, is there anything cuter than a hedgehog? No. There's that little tiny hedgehog on Instagram whose owner like poses it in little camp, like camping positions. It's. With little hats and shit. It's so fucking cute. I kind of want a hedgehog. Yeah. So. But I need thousands of them in order to pull off my schemes. <laughs> Maybe they're all trained Thousands hedgehogs. of trained hedgehogs. Can you imagine training a hedgehog? <laughs> I mean, I really, especially thousands of them, and then getting them all to. My work aunt in has had like a trained rabbit, but sure, sure, a hedgehog, a hedgehog. Rats are supposedly extremely intelligent and easy to that's train. That's true. Do you think that's the same for hedgehogs? No, I'm not basing that on anything except that they're really small and cute. And oh my god, I love hedgehogs. And why? Why would hedgehogs pull this prank on us? Why would? Hedgehogs be like, you know what would be fucking hilarious? <laughs> we go into old man McFarmer's field and walk all walk in a circle. And create these very intricate patterns. Yeah, they're like spaced out from above. <laughs> Who came up with this theory? Do you think Dr. Archie himself? I, I mean, it is unacceptable. I wonder if someone said that to Dr. Archie as a joke and he like Took doesn't get jokes. Possibly. That's actually my theory is that he was in a pub. And he told someone that he's researching crop circles. And the guy was like, oh, yeah, I know what causes those thousands of hedgehogs. <laughs> and then Archie was like, well, that's frankly unacceptable. I want to have a drink with that person. And then that person, yeah, is just having a laugh. So Archie, If you had an, a hedgehog, what would you name it? Maybe Wolfgang von Snowden. <laughs> that would actually be a great name for hedgehogs. This is my hedgehog, Wolfgang von Snowden. Not Dr. Archie. Probably not Dr. Archie. <laughs> creepy yeah so dr archie floats some <laughs> theories that he apparently thinks are more acceptable than the hedgehog theory for i'm a hedgehog truther i think it is the hedgehogs <laughs> i want it to be the hedgehogs yeah that's the truth if only they're busy hedgehogs too like 270 crop circles in one year <laughs> well i'm assuming people think they're different hedgehogs not like one team of hedgehogs that goes all across britain making millions crops. of hedgehogs out there just Yes. That's why this theory is frankly unacceptable. That's why it's probably very precise whirlwinds. Yeah, so Dr. Archie says that they could be flying saucers, maybe the foot pad marks of a UFO. Sure. That's why they're different all the time. Downdrafts from helicopters. What helicopters are landing in these fields? Who knows? Secret government helicopters, maybe? Sometimes the pattern is, like, not a circle. It's, like, a key shape. Maybe it's the helicopters. They, like, hover in the field. A little hatch opens up below the helicopter. All the hedgehogs fall out. (laughs) (laughs) Or it turns out that UFOs aren't, aren't driven by aliens. They're driven by thousands of hedgehogs? Yes. People haven't even looked into that, have they? Think about it. Think about it. Think about it. So Fat, hashtag facts. <laughs> UFOs might be manned by thousands of hedgehogs. Maybe. Maybe. Prove they're not. Yeah, you're going to have trouble proving that because it makes no sense. <laughs> so, and then, of course, there's a theory that they could be formed by whirlwinds, which I think they mean tornadoes. Or, and he doesn't give a lot of credence to this theory, but they could be hoaxes. <laughs> yeah, humans. he was like, well, it's obviously not hoaxes, but that's what some people think. And I went, mm, 
Yeah, so Dr. Archie says that while it is reasonable in his opinion to surmise that these are simply hoaxes because they look so artificial, he doesn't think that the hoax theory can be held very strongly because there are so many crop circles and it would simply take too many people too much time. Listen, Dr. Archie, I have some bad news for you about people with a lot of time on their hands. Yeah, there's a lot of people. Like, why are we making this podcast right now? We've got too much time on our hands. Example number one. Also, you know who has a ton of time on their hands? Thousands of tiny hedgehogs. Exactly. <laughs> what do they got to do? Nothing. Nothing. Just, just live a hedgehog just life. Just be cute and eat berries, I think. I think. Sit by a tiny campfire. <laughs> so, they got plenty of time to make They got plenty of time to organize, learn what circles are, figure out intricate patterns, and then walk in... Could Little- you imagine... Okay, you're... you're <laughs> I can't get over this. You're in the countryside. You're right. You're in the beautiful English countryside. You're in you're your like. You're drinking a little tea. You're drinking tea in your stone cottage. So there's like lambs frolicking. You've got your sheepdog. You're wearing like a, a, a hand knit sweater your great grandma made for you. And you look out the window and you see thousands of hedgehogs all swarming and prancing in a circle. Prancing. Well, yes. No, I'm picturing the same person sitting, you know, the porch of their cottage, sipping their tea, and then just like one hedgehog kind of starts walking past, and then all of a sudden there's just a line of hedgehogs, and they all just march, just a single file line past this person's house. They're like, wait, what? And they're just like sipping their tea watching this. It's like Peter Rabbit. It's like Peter Rabbit got horribly wrong. <laughs> Except with hedgehogs. Except with hedgehogs. I can't remember that farmer in Peter Rabbit. Oh. It's always like chasing the animals out of his garden. Instead, it's thousands of hedgehogs. <laughs> he just gets swarmed and it like runs over his body. Well, he's there just, can't be any witnesses, Liz. He's just left for dead. Hedgehog murder. They just poke him with their tiny spines. <laughs> I'm picturing them rolling up into little balls and like throwing each other at this man. I don't know how else a hedgehog would murder you. They have little catapults and their buddy jumps in it. And yeah. I am at the part where I wrote down Simon has no lips. <laughs> I didn't. See, I was not paying that close of attention. I didn't notice Simon's thin lips or anyone's unibrow. So, you're missing all the gold. So next they show what appears to be a bunch of people attempting to recreate a crop circle by stomping oh. around a field with just they their got feet. They the military to do this. Well, yes, yes, that happens as well. <laughs> yes, Robert Stack tells us that as a part of a televised experiment, British military personnel attempted to create a crop circle. Liz can barely contain herself. This footage is hilarious. Like They're taking this very seriously. They're taking it very seriously, but the rest of doing a terrible <laughs> job it's awful it's a group of people and they're just walking in random sort like just milling about the hedgehogs their would feet. have done a much better yes they were not organized at all at one point it looks like they were attempting to like lay the crop down with a but like they were using a rope yeah to, like, they had like a they had like a spike in the center mm-hmm. and then they had a rope going out so they're trying to make a perfect circle but they were using but the rope to stomping lay- and then yeah like pushing it down with the and i was like you it- need a board hello you need a board yeah and it seems like what probably happened is at first they were all very organized and they're like okay we're gonna do this in a systematic way and then it just 
when it didn't work very well, they all just like panned out and they were like, like, I'm going to do this. (laughs) One guy's on his like hands and knees pushing the corn with his hands. It's like, guys, come on. We're, we need, this is why we need hedgehogs. If you want a job done right, call the hedgehogs. (laughs) Not the military. (laughs) Not after this ridiculous display. So Pat Delgado says that when something mechanical is used to create a crop circle, it is evident. There is damage to the crop. He says that he can walk into a crop circle and know right away whether it was, quote, mechanically made, a hoax, or what he calls naturally created. I don't know how you can claim something is naturally created when you don't know what created it. Also when it's a perfect circle. Yeah. He it's goes- like a perfect design in the middle of a field. He goes on to say that when they examine a naturally created crop circle, the portion of the plant that is closest to the ground, quote, must be softened, bent over, and then hardened up again. Yeah, I wrote down softening and hardening the plants. What? He is definitely guessing about this. I don't think that he has actually any evidence that prove that, like, the plant was softened, laid flat, and then, like, hardened. Also, that's not how plants work. I don't understand... (laughs) Like, that's not a thing. This is how you know that this isn't true, is that the explanation for it is so complicated. Yes. Like, there's no way a plant is how softened, How are the hedgehogs bent, softening these plants? <laughs> and hardened again. That's just, no. There's a simpler explanation that's way too complicated, and it doesn't make any sense. And also, Simon has no lips. So Robert Stack says, so if it's not a hoax, what is it? No, it's a hoax. Why is that just being? Why is that just being dismissed? They're acting like it being a hoax and it being made by hedgehogs are equally possible. It's like here's two things: it's not. It's not made by hedgehogs. It's not made by humans. Here's what it could be: whirlwind, aliens, helicopters. The plants have been softened. We have evidence. What does that mean? So next we get the story of Pat and Jack Collins, a married couple who saw strange lights over some farmland near Stonehenge. Jack describes the, a disc with lights around it. Pat exclaims, good gracious, whatever could it be? She's so adorable. They're a really cute couple. Uh, Colin Andrews, the crop circle researcher, says that the same night, listen to this, you guys, that Jack and Pat saw the clustering of light a quintuplet set of circles appeared in a field a just a few miles to the east. A few miles? And then, Liz, listen to this. It's not even in the same place. A similar formation was found a few days later to the south. Oh my god. Suck it. <laughs> Literally, they're just like, oh, this happened. And then a crop circle appeared miles away. Dun, dun, dun. When, in a time when crop circles are cropping up every night. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a bit of a stretch. In an attempt to find out once and for all what is up with these crop circles, 50 British scientists convened on a field for a surveillance mission. 50. 50 scientists wasted their time doing this. For eight days and eight nights, they watched the field with cameras and various other pieces of equipment. Dr. Archie says that we hoped that a circle would appear. It didn't. Yeah, because people knew you were there, Dr. Archie. It's almost like it's being made by humans. He says that, in fact, no circles appeared that night or the entire time we were watching anywhere. (laughs) Yeah. He says, it's almost certain that whatever is creating these circles is aware of what we're doing. Oh, my God. But obviously it can't be a hoax. (laughs) 
humans. Yeah, it's definitely not humans who heard you were coming and went, well, we won't do that prank tonight. Yeah, eight days to take a break, you guys. Yeah. Well, vacation. Let's get some more drinking done. The hedgehogs are wherever hedgehogs live when they're not making crop circles. Yeah, I don't really know anything about hedgehogs, so... <laughs> now, this study by the 50 scientists did produce one significant finding, Liz. No, Colin Andrews didn't. says that when he and Pat Delgado were being interviewed in the largest circle they'd ever seen, the sound man picked up an electronic warbling noise. Actually, I think that's the guy with no lips. The warbling sound yeah. man? I don't know. No, Collins. Any- oh, maybe possibly. So that's about it. A bunch of scientists say things about how mysterious these circles are and how we should study them if only to better understand human consciousness, blah, blah, blah. Robert Stack comes on at the end to tell us that since they originally broadcasted this story, over 500 new crop circles have appeared across England and in other countries, it's almost, even the U.S. It's almost as if when that got attention, more appeared. Weird. Weird. Why Do hedgehogs would... watch Unsolved Mysteries? I don't know. <laughs> Did the aliens go, yes, our artwork is finally being appreciated. Yeah, it's almost like when Crop Circles had a segment on this primetime popular TV show. Drunk kids that lived by a farm went, I bet we could do that. And then they did. So these Crop Circles have become more elaborate in design. They show some of the elaborate designs. Some scientist comes back and says, we've been told to start referring to them as pictograms. Yeah, he's very excited about the word Uh pictogram. So the scientists in the update claim that they have video footage of crop circles being formed, but that it won't be released until it's fully examined. Yeah, Uh, because they see some drunk kids laughing in the footage and they don't want to admit it. We are told that botanists examining the cellular structure of plant samples removed from crop circles have found that the crystals inside the plant, typically random and cloudy, are clear and deliberate when taken from a crop circle. How did hedgehogs make that happen? Listen, hedgehogs are more powerful than we thought. At the very end, Robert Sachs says that there's irrefutable evidence that some intelligence is at work. Yes. But who and why some intelligence an Some intelligence mystery. is at work. Mm, some intelligence. Not like a lot of intelligence. <laughs> but some intelligence is involved. But in the update, we learn that two men from Southampton, England, confessed to creating the crab circles after a night of drinking at a local pub. Which, duh, duh. Obviously. Obviously. I feel like, okay, everyone listening to this has watched a History Channel documentary about crop circles where they see, like, the board that people use to do this with, with, like, a string attached, and all you have to do is step on the board. Yeah. And go around in a circle. You put, like, a pin in the middle, get a a long string, however wide you want to make your circle, and then you just start in the middle and you spiral out, and boom, you have a crop circle. Yeah, I I am constantly on the show referring to weird specials Fox made in the 90s, but as they were trying to come up with more X-Files related content, (laughs) and they definitely had one where they were like, some people say crop circles are a hoax. We don't believe it. So we hired these two guys to see if they could make one and trick these experts. And it was like super easy. Yeah, it's way easier than you think. I will say that some crop circles are like freaking works of art. Yeah, but people it takes time. Are, yeah, it's like an art form at this point, but people are still making them. I don't believe that crop circles are made by I feel a little whatsoever. bit bad. I hope people really can harvest their fields because otherwise that's... That's like honestly the only thing. I was like, 28 crop circles in one field? This poor farmer probably can't harvest any of this. Supposedly they can't. I don't know. I guess. I don't know. But uh, yeah, it took them like way less time than they thought to make that crop circle with yeah. the board and the string. And especially if you're doing 200 in one year, you probably get real good at it. 
Yeah. Also, also it, it's probably not all those two dudes because then other people heard about it. And yeah. It's like a, it's a, it's like it's a, a viral sensation. Yeah. yeah. You want to make the coolest and most intricate. You want to get on those calendar and mm-hmm. then laugh your ass off that people are saying that it's UFOs or whirlwinds or tiny fucking hedgehogs. I love the shot of these two crop circle researchers in the field with like their strings and their instruments and like a tiny little like I don't know lens thing you the guy just holds know up to those his eye. two guys are at the pub laughing their asses off <laughs> yep yep they're like oh those scientists are at it again another round ha 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 yeah I know so I do kind of feel bad for Pat and Andrew it seems like they devoted their I'm retirement sure they... years to researching crop circles I'm sure they still believe I'm pretty sure they probably do because we do get another update after the the first one that says, like, people still believe that they're too intricate to be uh, made by humans or whatever. Except that now that it came out that these two guys were doing it, there's not really crop circles anymore. Yeah. Because it's not fun anymore. Yeah. There's also a point where that really serious guy, I forget his name, was saying... Dr. Archie? Like, yeah. Oh, we need... Were these existing 5,000 years ago? That's what we need to find out. Because we only have evidence of them going back 10 years. And I was like... Yeah. That should tell you something as well. Right. Like, he's acting like they've been here since the beginning of time, except that we no one saw them before 10 years ago. Yeah, but Stonehenge, Liz. Has nothing to do with anything. It's a circle. And I really wish I saw that booklet. I know. It's a real tragedy. <sighs> anyway, that's... The lesson is, when you buy cool stuff on vacation, don't give it to other people. Just keep... You deserve it, too. <laughs> don't buy everything as gifts. Be selfish. Keep it for yourself. Hell Yeah. Yeah. So there were no reenactments in that one. I mean, I guess. I noted, and it was really, I really enjoyed that segment. It's really good. It felt like a little mini crop circle special, like from Fox or something. Yeah. Because I've watched many, let me tell you. It's, I that sh- part with the military trying to do it is well worth watching this segment. It's, it's like a freaking comedy. It's yeah, so funny. It should have that music because it's so ridiculous. Yeah. Oh my God. All okay. right, you have one. Now we have which some is ch- very change scary. tones, change gears. Yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. <laughs> it's time for an unexplained death. So different than unexplained. Mm-hmm. Way more serious. No hedgehogs involved. Also, the type of death that terrifies me. I have to say. <laughs> yeah, this one's freaky as hell. This is a little bit similar to we talked about the death of Carol last episode on Bremen Hollow Road, mm-hmm. which was just a total freak random act of violence. random yeah and so is this so if you're not from the u.s i swear this does not happen on a regular basis no, i mean there's there's lots of other reasons you shouldn't come here but this is weird i don't know why we're talking about two of these in a row it's it's an odd uh whatever okay so it starts with robert stack i guess in a police station looks like it Except that at first I was like, why is he just in someone's office? Like, he just, like, walked in, like, hey, who needs toner? Like, <laughs> pass me some post-it notes. And then I was like, I guess that's a police station? I will also note that even Robert Stack says this crime could be racially motivated, which I don't think we've heard yet. No, I don't think so. Which tells you that it definitely 100% oh, for sure. is racially motivated. The idea that he would even suggest that. You go, oh, okay. There's a couple people on Unsolved.com trying to deny it. They are jerks and they are wrong. And in denial. It it totally is. Serious denial. Okay. So this takes us back to December 23rd, 1988. It's four friends who are going out Christmas shopping. No. 
I'm glad this wasn't in the Christmas special because it's depressing as hell. I mean, the Christmas special was also depressing as hell. But it didn't need this. It did not. Need <laughs> it did this. not need this to perk it up. Did not need this. This concerns the death of Kenneth Lynn Donkey, who was one of four men driving in a car. They were going to the mall to do some more Christmas shopping. He was driving with Laverne Allen the Third, Kenneth Newick, and Darius Bannerman. Darius, my husband. Can we talk about how hot that man is? Yeah, he was really, oh, really hot. Oh, my God. Who, you guys? <laughs> There's not much good about this episode, Samantha this segment in this episode, but now Darius. Now in love with Darius. Darius. If things don't work out with her and Gordon Ramsay, whew, I mean, he's just, like, classically handsome. Yes. He's beautiful. Okay. So they had planned to take an hour and a half drive from Greensboro to Raleigh along Interstate 40. This is taking place in North Carolina. So 17... 17- year old Laverne was driving his father's Plymouth and we get a little bit of a backstory on each of the men in the car. Laverne had just received a scholarship from the Air Force Academy. 19 year old Kenneth was an engineering student. He was going to start college in the fall. The other Kenneth (laughs) had a scholarship to a local college and then his cousin Darius who Samantha is in love with was a high school basketball star and they had all been close friends for years. So they're driving along Interstate 40 and they're passed by a witness, Grady Alexander. Who's hilarious. Yeah, he's really, really funny. And um, seconds later, this guy notices a blue Monte Carlo speeding past him following these men in the Plymouth. And he notices that the car that's speeding, this blue Monte Carlo, has Georgia plates and then a man and a woman in it. And they don't say this on Unsolved Mysteries Wiki, but his response to this is clearly he's not a fan of Georgia. And he immediately goes, oh, Georgia redneck, because the guy has like wispy hair that he keeps describing as greasy. And he notices the Georgia plates. And he's already waved at maybe Kenneth. I don't remember. He's already waved at one of the men in the Plymouth. So he like notices their car go by going at a normal speed. And then this Monte Carlo speeds past them. And he was like, who the hell's that? And this Georgia redneck? Yeah. And he's like, oh, I see. Right. Like it confirms all his suspicions (laughs) he already has about Georgia. I love that we're all maybe not like this specific, but we're like all guilty of judging someone that we see in another car based on all kinds of things. Okay, I'm going to totally stop and talk about something that actually really, really relates to this podcast. And I cannot believe I have not brought this up sooner. Oh my God, I'm excited. Mac invented a car game to play in the car (laughs) where based on the vehicle, the license plate, and any bumper stickers it may have, you have to guess whether or not the driver has a mustache. (laughs) Okay, okay. Does he have a mustache? (laughs) You have to, you have to take in that, you know, information you have about the driver and then stereotype it and decide how good are you at this game we've gotten pretty good (laughs) so what are some indications that the driver might have a mustache okay i'm gonna say mac is pretty good at this you have to really consider like the make and model of the car okay okay you have to consider the political leanings that are suggested by the bumper stickers Mm -hmm. sometimes they're very contradictory sometimes someone has a bumper sticker for npr but also the nra and you have to go would that person have a mustache (laughs) i love this game i immediately we will play this game on our road trip to the mothman festival (laughs) because it sounds delightful it is pretty engaging i have to say 
we should really have Mac on to talk about it since he's the creator of the game. He, he gets all the credit. He gets this. all of the credit. Does do they have a mustache? Yeah, patented. You'll find. You'll start to see. You know, I'm gonna start this now and see how good I can get. Yeah, practice. You have to really stereotype people, but you know, you know, we all do it. Be <laughs> honest. And then you, and then you'll be the person going, "Oh, Georgia plates." You know, should have known. Some asshole tailgates you see move over, and then they fly past, and you as you as they go by, you see them, and you're like, "Yeah." Okay, that this. happened to me yesterday going to the ghost walk. Someone like passed me at a very high speed and gave me the finger. <laughs> For going the speed limit. Like, I was a little bit over the speed limit, like a normal person, right? And this person, like, sped past me and gave me the finger out the window. And I was like, Minnesota, I expected better of you. (laughs) Truly. But I didn't check the plates. Maybe they're not from here. Maybe they're from Georgia. Sorry. Maybe. I don't really know anything about how people drive in Georgia. No clue. So, whoa, 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 whoa. So distracted from what is happening. Okay, so this guy sees the Monte Carlo speed up. He's driving, like, way too fast, and the Monte Carlo is, like, riding the bumper of the Plymouth these four men are in. If it's anything like the reenactment, it's terrifying. terrifying. The car is, like, inches on, on top of them, and they, like, you know, try to get away. They speed up. They move lanes, whatever. This car is, like, on them. Yes. It's almost as if the cars are attached to each other in the reenactment. It's really scary. If you saw that terrible movie, Death Proof, that <laughs> Quentin Tarantino movie, it reminds me a tiny bit of that. Okay. okay. Where the car is, like, speeding up and trying to run them off the road. It's so scary. Yeah, it's very scary. what do you do? You're, like, almost trapped. Yeah. Because you can't, I mean, pull over and stop? What if they get out of the car and shoot you? Like... Yeah. I mean, at this point, you're already really scared. Yep. Um, I don't know what the... You hope that they just yeah. get tired of it and don't do what this guy does. So Laverne speeds up. He's weaving between cars to get away from them. However, they get followed. Um, Darius notices that the other driver has an angry and kind of like crazed look on his face. Like, like they're just scared of like his facial expression. Oh my God. If this person actually looks anything like the sketch they show at the end, this is straight out of a freaking nightmare. Yeah. It's horrible. Literally so, like Slender Man or something. His face <laughs> is so scary. It's gaunt <laughs> and just creepy. Chinless. Yes. And very, yeah, very odd. So the Monte Carlo's driver went around to the side and sideswipes the Plymouth. He then gets behind them and hits them again on the back of their vehicle. And after being struck from the back several times, Laverne loses car of the, sh- the loses control of the car and it goes off the side of the road, flipping over and landing in a field. And oh. the reenactment of the car flipping scary. Well done yeah. by Unsolved Mysteries, whoever did that. But maybe it was the yeah. same guy that blew up that church. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was too well done. Okay, so um, that witness we talked about earlier, Grady Alexander, he, like, pulls over. Um, the authorities are there in minutes. One of them is trapped in the car for, like, half an hour. Several of them suffer severe injuries. Um, one has his leg amputated as a thigh. Ken has a f- fractured skull and a broken leg. Darius so gets a broken wrist and facial air- and injuries. Unfortunately, Ken Dungy is pronounced dead at the scene. Yeah. Ugh, so sad. There's several witnesses to the accident, and one of them describes the Monte Carlo pulling to the side of the road, stopping, the man and the woman in the car getting out, seeing how bad it is, and then just getting off and speeding away. And one claims they were, like, laughing. Um, so they would like to speak to the people yeah. in the car. 
I, it doesn't seem like this is taken. What they what Unsolved Mystery says is this seems to be a racially provoked incident. However, it doesn't seem like the police are treating it that seriously because no. they say there's not proof it was done intentionally, despite all these witnesses. What? Yeah. How could you? What more proof could you need? I don't know. So they were not treating it as like a murder investigation. That's they were just horrible. treating it as an accident. Ugh. Unfortunately, this is unresolved. I hate this. I know. This person was never identified. This sketch is fucking terrifying. Oh my god. Unsolved Mysteries, like, got that sketch done, and yikes. Yeah. Yeah, see, but Unsolved Mysteries got that sketch done. The police didn't get that sketch done. It so seems like the police weren't really trying They out. weren't really looking for them, I'm afraid to say. The other three men are still friends. They live in different parts of the country. They've all gone on to have successful careers and lives but they miss their friend kenna yeah this is really and i don't know how handsome darius is but i assume he's still extremely handsome um there is a find a grave page for kenneth dungy if you would like to leave your regards um it's a really sad case i i don't feel like the police took this seriously at all and it didn't seem like it people just get to run you off the road and kill you and that's fine apparently what the fuck i know so sad yeah, awful. it's really awful. All right, we have one more mystery in this episode. Yes, this is a good one. I like this one a lot. This is a missing person. So the setting is Silver Plume, a small town in Colorado tucked into the Rocky Mountains. The population is just 130. On September 7th, 1987, Tom Young closed his bookshop on Main Street and left with his dog, Gus, never to be seen again. Nine months. What happened to Gus. We'll find out later. Nine months later, a newcomer to Silver Plume named Keith Reinhard opened an antique shop in the same Main Street location. On August 7th, 1988, Keith Reinhard closed up his shop for the day. Two hours later, Keith was gone, disappeared just like Tom Young. It's so weird. This is weird. So Robert Stack emerges from behind a display of trinkets in an antique store. (laughs) I loved that shot so much. First of all, because I love an antique store. And he's in like the tiniest, most claustrophobic space. It's full of junk. And he just pops up like, hello, let me tell you. And I want that to happen to me when I'm at an antique store. Liz and I were in an antique store. There's a huge antique mall in Stillwater. We were killing time before we had to go to the ghost walk last night. Oh my god, the treasures you find in an antique store. I we had... were trying to find something that might be cursed, and we saw several things that could fit the bill. <laughs> well, I tell you. wanted Samantha to get this candle of a creepy angel that you would like burn it, and it starts at the head, so yeah. at some point there's just going to be a flame sticking out of the angel's neck as it's like, help me, Samantha. <laughs> I don't think those candles were ever meant to actually be burned, but could you imagine if you did? That would be I totally, I totally would. I totally would have gotten it if it wasn't like $8 or whatever nonsense it was. I'm thinking of starting a new collection, which is things wearing tiny hats. Samantha was like, it's going to be hard to find things for this collection. And then I was like, nope, here, here. <laughs> All exactly how that went. things wearing tiny, adorable top hats. I think I might need to do it. You have plenty of wall space in this room alone to fill up with things wearing tiny hats. I mean, I really need more shelves for all my junk. Start buying stuff so you no, have I, an excuse to get some shelves. I've got stuff. That's not a problem. There's an alien just sitting on this little <laughs> ledge right now. Yeah, it is. That's one of the aliens Rochelle gave us. Yeah, it's sticky. <laughs> it's literally just sitting there on its butt watching us. So Robert Stack says that in addition... Dreaming of Darius. I will be forever. <laughs> 
So in addition to the fact that Keith and Tom rented the exact same space to run their shops, there were also other startling coincidences. Both men were in their late 40s and were going through a sort of midlife crisis. Both- that was a little judgy. Yeah, a little bit. We don't really know what Tom was going through. And they were just like, they're old. They haven't done anything with their lives. Man, oh man. It's a little stereotypical. Robert, Robert Stack was like, if that was me, I'd be in a crisis. If I didn't become a famous yeah, movie Robert star. Robert Stack that- is having threesomes with JFK and Elizabeth Taylor. Yeah. So he he's doing ev- fine. Everyone else, he's like, I can't imagine your life. He's cruising his yacht, playing tennis. Yeah, we assume. So both men were firmly established, or firmly established an alibi before they disappeared. And one of them was writing a novel about the other. Also, Robert Stack took the fact that the second one grew out his hair and grew a beard to be signs that his like life was in. He grew a beard. Yep. His life is in disarray because Robert Stack would never do that. Mm-hmm, he mm-hmm. would kill himself first. This is what they said about Keith. So Keith worked as a sports reporter for a Chicago newspaper for 23 years. In 1988, he grew long hair and a beard and moved to Silver Plume <laughs> to take a three-month sabbatical. What does that have to do with anything? I don't know. Keith's goals for his sabbatical were... These are very specific. Yes, he wanted to get in shape by mountain climbing. Mm -hmm. He wanted to overcome his fear of heights. It's going to really help with the mountain climbing. And he wanted to write a novel. In three months? That's what I said. Yeah. So Keith also hoped to run an antique shop geared towards summer tourists. When are you going to have time to do these other things, Keith? He's a busy guy. His plan was that if the antique shop was successful, he and his wife could relocate to Silver Plume permanently. All right. So Keith's friend, Ted Parker, lived in Silver Plume and ran a cafe. He describes Keith... Yeah, but how does Robert Zach say it? A cafe. (laughs) Yeah, Our cafe owner, Ted, uh, describes Keith as as being apprehensive about turning 50, but also excited. He was in Silver Plume to finish out his 40s in a way that he had always dreamed, said Ted. Like having a beard and running an antique shop and going mountain climbing. Wanted to become a mountain man, I guess. Yeah. So Sven dream. Keith's son, he had a mustache-mullet combo, but his mustache was average. Is this the son? Yes. I literally wrote, called that mustache the son. The son. It's very full and blonde. It was very full and blonde. So he says that Keith felt that he didn't have much time left to be young. Okay. I guess he didn't. I guess. I guess we all don't. Time's a ticking. Grow those beards, everyone. Grow those beards. (laughs) You don't have much time left. Uh, you want to be like Wolfgang von Snowden? Grow those beards. That was a fake beard, though, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. And so, listen, if you can't do it... Fake beards. There's fake beards look, out there. Look, right there, there's Wolfgang one, von Snowden. There's one right there. <laughs> so, in Silver Plume, Keith became obsessed by the unexplained disappearance of Tom Young. I would, too. People in town wanted to talk about it all the time. It was a close-knit place, and they all knew and liked Tom very much. And he's just vanished. I know. And he used to work in the store that you're in. Right. Wouldn't you want to, like, find a clue? I would think. Uh, his- oh, 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 that just reminds me of something. Yes. Samantha's like, Liz, let's get on with the show. <laughs> no, I need to tell the story about how I once took over a lease for my coworker who had moved in with her boyfriend, and it lasted three days. What? <laughs> Did you find clues? I so want. I was convinced I was going to find a clue of what happened. And did you? No, but I found out later what it was. What was it? Pornography. Oh, (laughs) okay, sure. I was really hoping there was like a finger or something. (laughs) Because I was like, how can you be with someone for years, move in together, and then it only lasts 
three days. It turned out it was like a lot of pornography. Oh, okay. I was gonna say. I mean, that's not that. I know. I guess it depends on who you are. Yeah, it was. It was a very unhealthy amount of pornography. I, who knows? It was a very anticlimactic end. I was hoping it was like a human ear. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a much better story. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, Tom's disappearance was a complete mystery, and Keith was very interested in it. He decided to base the novel he was writing on Tom Young. The main character in Keith's novel was a guy named Guy Gypsum. Which is a terrible fake name. Who was a composite of Tom and himself. Tiffany Reinhardt. That's the fakest, stupidest name. Is Guy it, Gypsum. Is it dumber than Wolfgang von Snowden? <laughs> I can't even answer that question. They're both pretty bad. My mind just exploded, like that meme. (laughs) Tiffany Reinhardt, Keith's daughter, says that her father became obsessed with the disappearance of Tom Young. She believes that Keith was trying to live the story, and she thinks it is possible that her father wanted to feel what it was like to disappear so that he could better write about Mm. it. On July 31st, 1988, 10 months after Tom disappeared... Two hunters on Republican Mountain, just one and a half miles. I know. My least favorite mountain. <laughs> I know. The jokes we could tell about uh, Republican Mountain. Republican Mountain. Yeah, well. <laughs> it's just one and a half miles outside Silver Plume. They found the remains of Tom and his dog. Each had died from a bullet wound to the head, and it was ruled a suicide. Poor Gus. You know, Gus didn't deserve that. I'm calling it a murder-suicide. Yeah, Gus wasn't in on that. So sad. Yeah, they found a gun, and the uh, Tom had purchased the gun shortly before. And They show a reenactment of literally like a Halloween skeleton yes. lying in the woods with, you know, no clothing or anything, and then, like, a gun by it and some bullets. <laughs> it was pretty comical. A week after Tom's body was found, Keith Reinhardt walked through Silver Plume telling everyone in his path that he was going to climb to the top of Pendleton Mountain. Most of them didn't believe him because Keith had a fear of heights and really disliked climbing alone. At 4 p.m., he stopped into his friend's cafe. (laughs) He also told Ted that he was going to climb to the top of the mountain. And to Ted, he said, if I don't come back, call up the rescue. So Ted set out for the mountain wearing just a flannel shirt and jeans. He carried no supplies whatsoever. He also left at 4 in the afternoon. Yep. And that night, he did not return. So an exhaustive seven-day search, including a dozen... Uh, search and rescue personnel, trained search dogs, and helicopter helicopters turned up nothing. The search area was extremely treacherous. The the guy who was in charge of it describes 60-degree vertical slopes and a rugged terrain. There were no clues left behind by Keith for them to track, and Keith carried no backpack or supplies, so it's not like they could find anything that might help them locate him. Robert Sachs says that in 30 years of operation... Why didn't he leave a trail of beard hairs? <laughs> That's the reason to grow the beard. Yeah. Yeah. In 30 years of operation, apparently the Colorado Alpine Rescue Team found every single person they had ever searched for, but they could not find a trace of Keith Reinhardt. At Keith's desk, searchers found a newspaper clipping of the story of Tom's body being found. And on Keith's computer, right next to the newspaper, there was an eerie passage he was writing for his book. It read... Guy Gypsum changed into some hiking boots and donned a heavy flannel shirt. He understood Tom now and his motivation. Guy closed the door and then walked off towards the lush, shadowless Colorado forest above. That's really eerie. 
It's exa- that's exactly what Keith did. Yeah. So that's about it. There is some speculation that both men met with foul play. Apparently, ballistics could never prove that the bullets that killed Tom Young came from the gun he owned. Okay. Yeah. Ballistics is a shaky science at best, so I don't really give much credence to that. It seems clear that he killed himself. Um, both men, like they, for like a second, Robert Stagg talks about, you know, did both men stumble upon something in the space they both rented? A human ear, That someone perhaps? didn't want them to know about? A finger? Maybe. Pornography? <laughs> so, I think there's three possibilities. So, one, he was actually going out for a hike. You know, yeah. he, he was hoping to get in shape by hiking, and he did want to overcome his fear of heights. Why would he go at four in the afternoon with no supplies, though? Don't know. That's why I think that one's the least likely. Number mm-hmm. two is that he committed suicide just like Tom Young. I that's what I think. And then three, he... Amnesia? Ma- went to a new town and started a new life? Okay, so we have four and five <laughs> theories now. <laughs> the, the, Do thousands of tiny hedgehogs yeah, what if play he met, into this? What if he met his fate with thousands of tiny hedgehogs all okay. prickled him to that's death? That's theory five. We'll probably have 12 by the time we're done with this. So theory number three is that he wasn't planning on dying, but he did plan to disappear like Tom Young, either just to stay up in the mountains for a while to simply feel what it must have felt like to be Tom, or to have a legitimate disappearance in which people started looking for him and a rescue came and got him. In either scenario, it is possible that he bit off more than he could chew and died of exposure or perhaps fell to his death. That seems like the three theories they're presenting in the show. Not really sure which one it is because it's unresolved they never found his body uh no one ever figured out what he was doing where he went i think he committed suicide i kind of think that's the most likely which is very sad but yeah it is really sad and the passage in his book could have been that's why i think that and i realize that it's fiction and you can't always do that but just given the circumstances that's what i would lean towards i think personally probably the most likely scenario so i mean he did grow that beard and he was having a midlife crisis and he was trying to do way too much on a sabbatical yeah you just spend some time relaxing if you're going on a sabbatical yeah anyway that was very interesting it was a very interesting case i think it's eerie it is very strange between the two though guy gypsum i don't know that that book was going to be very good but maybe that's why. Maybe. That's why he just walked away. He was like, this book's terrible. I'm done. Maybe he has amnesia. Maybe. Maybe he's Maybe living... he started over in a new town with a better antique store. Possibly. We'll never know. Should we rate this episode? Yes. All right. Mysteriousness. Pretty damn mysterious. Very mysterious. We have this driver, Monte Carlo, Georgia Redneck incident. Who's that guy? Who's that guy? He's literally described by witnesses as ugly, which I've never heard before. He was ugly (laughs) inside and out. Yeah. Uh, I hope he immediately drove his car into a tree and died. Yep. So that's mysterious. This book mountain silver plume thing is just plain old weird. Super weird. Super eerie. Very mysterious. Crop circles, not so mysterious, but speculating on crop sure. circles is And they were fun. super mysterious at the time, I think. That's so true. So we can give, yeah. it, give it that. I'm a thumbs, thumbs up for mysterious. way up. Reenactments, I thought were pretty good. Solid. Yeah. yeah the they, Clearly a lot of production went into that car. Yeah. Flipping situation. So. And Samantha's in love with Darius, so. Darius, call me. <laughs> I bet Darius has a lovely family now. Yeah. I, I just briefly read an article about how you know, they had gone on to good lives and I don't know. I can't remember oh, specifically sure. if Darius had a family, but it seemed like most of them did, so. I'm sure someone snatched him up. Yeah. All right, fashion. 
Oh, yes. Hell yes. Definitely a thumbs up for Russian. all of the, the countryside farmers. Loved them yeah. all. They were great. Each adorable. Yes. Um, and then Robert Stack. I don't know. He had his antiquing outfit. That's on true. Point. At the end, I think we've seen the clip they showed at the end before because he says something like, in these four mysteries. And I was like, dude, there were three. <laughs> I didn't even notice that. That is inaccurate information. I will say about that shot of Robert Stack in the antique store, like, Everything in that shot is the same color. Yeah, it's weird. The walls, the trinkets, Robert Stack's outfit is all this like beige. Yeah, it's very beigey. Very weird, very one tone. Um, I don't know. I'm a sideways yeah. baby for mm. Robert Stack. Okay, we can give this episode a possible five out of five Robert Stacks. I would give it four at least. I think it's definitely a four, maybe a four and a half. Yeah. I really liked it. It's really good. I liked it a lot. So that's that. Are you coming at us with a recommendation? I actually have some recommendation updates oh. this time. Oh. Nice. We're going to have some updates on things we have recommended or talked about in the past. Okay. Okay. Number one, I want people to be aware that there is a Forensic Files podcast. What? It is not like this podcast with us yakety yakking. It is just the audio of oh, Forensic Files, yep, yep. which is what some people wish this podcast was, but it's not. If this you fall is, asleep to Forensic Files, this is exactly what you need. Yes, that's why I'm bringing it up. If maybe you're at work and you wish you could watch an episode of Forensic Files, but boom. Listen to the podcast. If you're having trouble falling asleep, the voice of the narrator, Peter Thomas, will lull you into a piece. It doesn't sound true because it's about gruesome murders, but oh man, oh man, it works. So there's that podcast. I think it's like officially by the Forensic Files people, which is why it exists. Okay. If you've ever fallen asleep to Forensic Files, you'll know you really don't need to see what's on the screen. Everything is in the narration. What's on screen, If once you stop looking at it, you'll realize it's mostly just like stock footage of people looking through microscopes and stuff. Pretty it's much. very rarely necessary. So you can just listen to the audio of that. Super nice. Our friend Maxwell over at Relic Podcast, that podcast is currently on hiatus. It's going to come back in the fall. He is working on a new podcast with a friend of his about Final Fantasy. It is called Everything is Crystals. And it is about Final Fantasy for people who have never played that game before to, like, introduce you to it. And I just love Maxwell so much, so I want people to be aware of that. Also, Maxwell just get a cute little dog? Yes, he just got a dog, and her name is Susie Q, and she's adorable. Oh my god, so cute. So, shout out to Maxwell. Okay, also, My Hero Fat Feminist Witch, recently, her newest podcast is about fat phobia, and it is so good. And I think everybody should listen to it. It, it's not particularly witchy. It is more about how the impact of fat shaming on people and the negative impact that has on your life and how that's actually like worse than any health problems that you might associate with people being fat and the ramifications of that. It's very powerful. It's very moving. She cries. I started tearing up like it's definitely worth listening to. That's awesome. I recommend that to everyone. And she talks a little bit about that new AMC show, Dietland. Okay. In that too. Oh, I had talked about the Denton Welch book, uh, In Youth as Pleasure. Yep. And how that would be the best summer reading and how I was jealous of everyone that hadn't read it yet. So I, because I recommended that, started reading another book of his, Maiden Voyage. And he's only got three books. Oh, so, okay. you know, this is like... You got to take your time. You got to savor it. He died young due to his injuries from his bicycle accident. So tragic. Oh. Uh, And I've been reading that and I'm really enjoying it. So if you like In Youth is Pleasure, basically this is like a follow-up to that. They're all based on his life. So this is like events that would have happened after that. And I'm loving it. Then 
drugstore makeup update. Oh. Which is that I got these L'Oreal lipsticks. They smell like chocolate. These Was that li- what you were wearing last night? Liquid lipsticks? No. The colors that I ordered kind of make me look like a zombie. That's well, not necessarily a bad thing. But they apply really well. They stay on fucking all day. You got to like okay. scrub it off. Okay. But more importantly, Samantha, smell this. Oh, I want to eat it. It is the best thing I've ever smelled in my it life. It smells so good. I've been wearing them, even though I don't really like the way they look on me, because... You just smell that all day? Yeah, like as it dries, you know, it's right on your nose, and you just go like, oh, it smells like like the best chocolate mousse. It smells delicious. It smells so good. So I don't think I did a good job picking colors for me. Yeah, that color I can but not imagine wearing on my lips, but it, it kind of makes so me good. look dead. But these are the Le Chocolat Infallible Pro Matte Liquid Lipsticks from L'Oreal. They're like ten dollars each, which eh, it's not. It's a little pricey for drugstore. A little but... pricey, but man, oh man, does that smell good? Man, they do wear really well. So just I don't know, get a color that actually works for you, unlike me. Sure, that's not like a real recommendation. That's a like somehow try to smell this i don't know if you are a person that uses speaking of l'oreal beauty blenders to apply your foundation which work really good they're like 20 dollars for a sponge l'oreal has one that is just as good and it's like seven dollars maybe yeah and of course you can wash them and use them for a long time get one because you will think honestly it's so good don't get those real technique garbage sponges that so are they always have, rocks. always have at marshall's yes get the l'oreal ones they have different sizes i like the pink one it has a pointy end and then like a rounded end it's perfect oh, there you go yeah i love those all right those are my recommendation updates for today and also we talked about dangerous linda so boom boom hell yeah i'm recommending a netflix show that i find delightful Ooh. and i absolutely adore it Ooh. is the netflix original show nailed it uh, Travis wanted to watch it, and I'm like, okay, maybe one episode. I laughed hysterically <laughs> throughout this whole thing, and I can't stop watching it. It is so funny. The host is the funniest person, honestly, Nicole Byer, and then her co-host, uh, Jacques Torres, I think is how you pronounce his name. He's he's a French chocolatier. Hilarious. And then they have a special guest in each episode. So here is... Why aren't I a French chocolatier? Oh my god. Doesn't that sound like the best life? It really does. In almost every episode, they show pictures of chocolate he's made, and Aww. it looks delicious. I'm just gonna smell this some more. So, home bakers who have a poor track record in the kitchen seek redemption and cash in this series. In each episode, three contestants try their hand at recreating edible masterpieces. The projects don't always turn out great, but whichever amateur baker comes closest to the successful dessert by the end of the episode takes home $10,000. Um, they take, like, viral baker sure. like, baking... Amazing, beautiful yes. cakes. And- like, in one episode, I know you've seen this, where they, you make a cake and you use Kit Kats to make a little pool. Mm. Like, around... The, the, so the cake turns into a pool, and then you have, like, chocolate in the middle and, like, little animal characters. Like, they're okay. taking a little mud bath or whatever. They, they tried to make that. So they have this, like, smaller contest at the beginning. And one was they had to make donuts that look like pirates, things like that. Okay. And then they have, like, the final challenge, which is usually a gigantic cake, like, cake boss style, like, mm-hmm. intricate. Once it was a volcano, they look so complicated. Once it was a shark... It was literally like the head of a shark and it had a surfer in its mouth. These are impossible. Stuff like that is so hard to make. Which is why they choose them. Because then yeah. hilarity ensues when people try and recreate <laughs> them. They get the recipe. They get like a little bit of help. But the point is, technically, who can make the closest representation of 
the whatever it is. But the actual point of the show is who can make the worst because it's so funny. And they purposely pick people who are not very good at baking. One, one of my favorites was this episode where they had to make the Cinderella cake. I think I told Liz about this one. And there's a Cinder, not a Cinderella, a Rapunzel cake. Mm-hmm. And there's a Rapunzel head and like she has like fondant, like hair that spills down the side of the cake. And one person makes this Rapunzel face that looks like a possessed doll. It has these, instead of doing like normal eyes or even just like two black dots, she does like a white fondant circles with like tiny red pupils. Why? And the smile is like poked in with a, like a, <laughs> this is like the a scariest thing. And they reveal her cake and the host just all bust out laughing and Nicole Byers, the main host, is like, I'm sorry, but that is the scariest thing I've ever seen. I bet that's what new Michelle looks like. I bet. Oh my God. Mm. Honestly, you guys, I laugh. It's also just the way they shoot it is just hilarious and it's meant to be funny, lighthearted. If you're looking for something to watch to just chuckle, like you have to watch the show. It's so funny. That sounds really good. And Netflix has started doing this thing where I don't know if they do this with all their originals, but there's no credits at the end. It just like rolls into the next episode instantly. So So they're like, like, you can't even think about it. You could just sit there and just binge the whole thing. We're trying to pace ourselves a little bit because they're not super long episodes. But yeah, you guys, it's so funny. At the end, they have this uh, money gun that will like shoot money at the winner. It's very lighthearted, very funny. I adore it. Cool. Check it out. I tried to watch an episode of Animal Airport. What did you think? But then... They were like, these lizards oh, died. Okay. The first episode of Animal Airport is really depressing because it's a bunch of iguanas that are smuggled into the country and a lot of them die. But not all of them. Okay. I was Did like, you finish the episode? Nope. A lot of I, them make they were it. like, will the rest of these lizards live? And I was like, nope, no thanks. Can't do it. <laughs> a, a good number die, but a good number make it too. Okay. They set up like a... In one of the dog kennels, they made... I don't know if you got to the part of that episode where they, like, went outside and chopped down some trees so that they could make a little, like, jungle for the iguanas. No! And then every every day they were in there with spray bottles, like, spraying the iguanas. It was, it's it's kind of cute, but it is also really sad. I forgot to mention that. Guys, don't... Content sm- warning for the first episode of Animal Airport. <laughs> don't smuggle iguanas. Yeah. Yeah, that... That's our new advice. I know. Don't smuggle any animals. No. Leave them in the wild where they belong. So sad. Is that all we have? Should yeah. we plug our shit? Yeah. Okay, follow us plug on it all. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Perhaps It's You. Send us your paranormal tales, your ghost sightings, your interactions with Robert Stack. Perhaps Maybe it's you.com. No. Perhaps it's you podcast at gmail.com. Also but, our website, perhaps yeah. it's you.com. We have a little form you, you can, can fill it out. out and you can say, these are the three stumps I have with Robert Stack. Just yes. don't be gross about it. <laughs> we recommended that book uh get well soon by jennifer yes. Wright, and i just finished her other book about breakups it oh ended yeah badly and the last chapter of that book is about elizabeth taylor and i really wanted the threesome to come up and it never did i'm sorry it was a maybe she can write a new edition add that in the whole book is just about that one threesome <laughs> so funny okay what else do we have to say i don't know i went off on a tangent oh Um, you should really rate us five stars on apple podcast we'd really appreciate it yeah do that the five star reviews really help out the show it really helps out indie podcasts in particular if you have a podcast you love go give them five stars because not only is it an ego boost but it helps the algorithms etc yeah 
Um, Patreon.com slash perhaps it's you is where you can toss a little money our way and get some bonus content. Yes. And we love all our patrons. They're the, so much. our favorite of the five, gotta say. We're sending out a whole stack of postcards. We're a little bit behind. We've also gotten quite a few new patrons as of late. So expect to see some stickers and a postcard in the mail soon. Yep. And I think that's everything. Yep. All right. Mm-hmm. We love mm-hmm. you five listeners. Bye. Bye. Go solve some mysteries, bitches.